Have a seat, have a seat. Going from the floor this morning. Um, how are we doing? Oh, come on. The weather is beautiful. The sun is a little behind the clouds, which makes it amazing. So how are we doing this morning? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. That's Matthew chapter 7. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount, so if you've got a, a, a device or a Bible, get to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read the text for us, pray for us, and then we will continue. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And let me just kind of preempt uh, this passage by saying... Um, I don't know how you're feeling this week. Some of you guys are excited. Some of you guys not so excited about what's going on in our nation and in our world. Um, and the bottom line is this. Uh, we are here and the world is looking at us going, how are Christians going to respond in this context? How are Christians going to respond uh, when there's situations where there could potentially be conflict? In our culture, there, there's one or two things that there might be conflict over, right? One, one or two. Uh, that might be there. And so the question that Jesus helps us to address, the, the question we got to answer is this, how are we going to respond as God's people in this moment of where it could potentially be um, a lot of heated conflict? Here's Jesus' word to us. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, says this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they shall trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you give us wisdom and how to navigate the complexities of life. You give us your wisdom and how to interact with people that we have a disagreement with or we have a, a conflict with. And so Lord, I pray that we would be men and women that are not judgmental, but that we judge rightly that we'd be people that move in this world and honor you because you are our king and that we would be your kingdom people that represent you well in a, in a culture, in a climate that's very contentious. And so Lord, that's something that we can't do just by listening to a good sermon. We need your spirit to make us alive and empower us to live this kind of life. So we're asking you, Jesus, work in our hearts by the power of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, when I was in college, I ran track, and I ran track at the University of Texas. Um, if you're an Aggie, you hiss at me at this point, but the rest of us, we're excited about that. Um, and, and when I was there, it was an amazing time, because we'd be able to go all over the nation and run races in cities all over the nation. So I got to run at Penn Relays, I got to run at Stanford, I got to run just all over the nation. It was really, really fun. Uh, but what would happen is that you had this group of, you know, 19 to 22-year-olds that would be landing in this city, and so we would get to that hotel room, and so we'd all be in our gear, uh, UT gear and stuff, and he would pull us all together into one meeting room, and our coach was, uh, his name was Bubba Thornton, all right, and so you knew you couldn't cross Bubba, and so Bubba would pull us all in the room, he goes, gentlemen, I got something to tell you, we are here, we're in this beautiful city, 
We want you to not do anything that would embarrass yourself, your teammates, or university. And that moment, what he was telling us is this. You represent something bigger than just yourself. Like in this moment, you represent the university. That, that jersey you're wearing, that, that, that shirt that you're wearing, that, that burnt orange means something when you walk into this culture. And so I don't want you to do anything that would, that would inhibit you from representing that, na- or that university well. And, and the truth is this. Um, we represent a great king. And as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, he's been talking to his people about how they should interact and how they should be in the culture. And so we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount all through it and say, this is what my people are like. This is, these are the characteristics that they should embody. This is how they should relate to the law and, and this is how they should relate to me. And in, in this moment, he turns us and says, okay, now this is how I want you to relate to the world and to one another. He says, I want the world to know that we're different because they see something very different in how we interact with one another. Jesus says this, the, the, the world will know that you're mine, that you're my disciples by the way you do one thing, by the way that you love one another. And at this moment, he's saying, okay, in reality is you're gonna, you're gonna encounter conflict as you enter into the world. And it's gonna be difficult to know how to interact well in the culture. And so I'm going to give you some tools. I'm going to show you how I want you to interact with one another. And so, and here's what ends up happening. As you come to faith in Jesus Christ, um, stuff starts changing within you. Like, like your heart begins to change. You start loving the things that you no longer loved. You start doing things that, that you didn't want to do before. And, and your heart becomes uh, genuinely restored to become one that loves Jesus. And you start leaving the sins behind you. And you start living differently in the world. And what can tend to happen, as you grow, you start feeling good about the transition, the changes that are happening within you. But then you look out there. And you see people that aren't making the same changes that you're making. They don't have the same values that you're having. And so there is a tendency within us to celebrate ourselves and condemn others. There is a tendency in all of us to say, hey, this is what I believe, this is what I think, and this honors the Bible, and this is what God would have me do. And so we celebrate what we do, and then we look back and over there, we condemn them for not being where we are. And Jesus says, okay, I want you to be really careful about that moment. I want you to be careful about that tendency. I want you to really take stock about what you're doing in that moment. And he gives us a phrase for that. I want you to not judge. And here's what he's saying in this section. I want you to not judge hypocritically, but I want you to restore gently. And that's the premise of this entire text. What is this about? It's, it's I don't want you to judge hypocritically. I want you to restore Gently, And that's really important because our culture will take this one verse out of context and say, see, do not judge. You cannot tell me not to do anything. But that's not Jesus' point. Because Jesus actually says there is judgment that God has. In fact, he says this in Romans uh, 14.10. He says this, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That word judge, both in that passage in Romans and here in Matthew, uh, could mean a variety of things. It could be to judge uh, judicially, like to make a, a condemnation as a judge would make a condemnation. It could mean to condemn personally, or it could mean to discern. 
And so there's a broad range in that word, but here's the key on this. He says, judgment will happen to all of us and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There will be a moment when you and I, Christian, will stand before God and give an account for our life. Every one of us is under the judgment of God. Every one of us will stand before God and where we will give an account for our life. Every single one of us. But it also means this. Jesus also asks us to judge one another. In fact, if you look just a couple uh, paragraphs later in Matthew 7, he's going to say, there's a good tree that bears good fruit and a bad tree that bears bad fruit. And so he tells us, you've got to be discerning with what people are doing in the world. And we're going to look at that in a couple weeks. But, but he says, I want you to discern. I want you to make judgment calls, but I don't want you to be judgmental. In fact, John 7, 24 says it this way. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. And that's the difference. Jesus wants us to be able to judge situations with right judgment. But that's, that's what's difficult. Because it's difficult to, to, to actually evaluate situations well. And, and here's, here's the key on this. The problems with judgment is th- are, are this. One, that I assume that my judgment is infallible. When I see these people doing these actions, I assume my perspective is infallible. Like, I know exactly why, and, I, and I've made an opinion, and my opinion is infallible, my opinion is right. Or the second problem is this, that we assume we're immune to that failure. We assume that, oh, uh, they struggle with that, that's so terrible. What, what a terrible human being. And, and, and we assume that we're immune to the same failure. And that's what Jesus is warning against. Hey, your perspective is not perfect. And you are just as guilty or just as liable to fall into the same mistakes. So I want you to really move humbly. I want you to look at those situations and I want you to move tenderly. So Christians should evaluate the decisions of others. And what Jesus is asking, one commentator um, says it this way. The rigor of, dis- of the disciples' commitment to God's kingdom and, the right- and his righteousness demands... Um, that they authorize, that they, uh, they not adopt a judgmental attitude. To be judgmental um, means that we're judging people in their actions. But we have to make the right judgments. Augustine uh, of Hippo, in his book, The City of God, says this. And it's kind of wordy, so you've got to listen closely. It says this. He who lives according to God ought to cherish towards evil men a perfect hatred. Okay, that's a perfect hatred. So what does he mean by that? So that he shall neither hate the man... Because of his vices, nor hate the vice because of the man. He says, I want you to, to love people rightly, and I want you to not, not, not hate men because of the sin that they struggle with, nor do I want you to um, love the sin because of the man. And we have a tendency to do that. We, we, we choose to love the sin because we love the person, and Jesus is saying, no, no, that, that's not what I'm talking about. But nor do we hate the person because of the sin that they struggle with. We don't do that either. We got to thread the needle really well on this. And so in the rest of this passage, he gives us four, four things to do as we interact with people and we are tempted to get into conflicts with others. We're tempted to make judgments. And he says, these four things I want you to put in place in your life. And let me tell you what, these four are very, very practical. And so if you have a way to take notes or a way to take pictures with your phone, I would really encourage you to put these down. This will really help you as you deal with conflict in your life. And the first is this, that we have a correct evaluation. Secondly, that we have a gentle confrontation. 
Thirdly, that we have loving restoration. And fourthly, that we have patient timing. The first one is this, that we would have an honest evaluation. And in that, we would ask ourselves the question, am I seeing correctly? Am I seeing the situation correctly? Here's what Jesus says in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? Now, here's, here's the reality. It is very difficult to rightly evaluate. It is so difficult. And Jesus says, it's because you have a log in your head. And it's difficult to see past the log in your own head. And we all do this. We all assume that we be- we're better than we are. Let me give you a couple statistics. It says this, that 65% of Americans consider themselves of above average intelligence. Think about that. 65% of the people says, I'm, I'm above average. Well, guess what? That's just impossible. And so, sorry people, we're probably just right at that 50 percentile. I'm very sorry to tell you that. 93% of people think they are above average drivers. We're in Houston. 93% of the people driving beside you think that they are above average drivers. It's impossible. <laughs> That's not possible. We over-evaluate how good we are at any number of things. 87% of MBA students at Stanford University rated their academic performance as above the median. False. It's impossible. There's a curve. You're not, you're not above. Like there's, there's a reality. Not everyone is above average. But we assume that we are. We naturally assume that we are better than we are. And here's why. It's because we all have parts of our lives that we tend to ignore. And the way I would describe it is like this, um, your house. So in your house, you have stuff. And there's always a place in your house where you tend to put the stuff that you don't know what to do with, right? So maybe it's a closet, maybe it's an attic, maybe it's a, uh, a drawer. And, and so someone will come over to your house and, and they'll be like, hey, why don't you come on over? And, uh, and they're like, hey, where can I find a fork? And you're just like, oh yeah, it's over there in that drawer. And they reach for the wrong drawer and they reach for your clutter drawer, right? Every receipt you own, every paper you received, every bit of money, loose change, every pencil you happen to find or crown ends up in this one drunk junk drawer and they reach for it and you're like, oh good God, no. <laughs> and they pull it open and you know I will never get it closed. Right? So they open it up and everything goes everywhere and you're just like, oh no. And, and so you're, you're free. And they're like, no, no, it's the other drawer. And you're like, shove it down, shove it in. And we, we, we say to ourselves, you know, sometime I'll clean that out. Right? Like I'll clean out the garage or I'll clean out that attic. And we're like, we'll deal with it. But what ends up happening over time is that space becomes a blind spot. And we don't deal with it. We cover it up and we compensate for it. See, we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. It's so easy to to point out the faults of others, but ignore our own own faults. I have two cats at my house, uh, Maui and Flynn. They're named after Disney characters, Maui and Flynn Rider from Tangled. You can go watch them later on. It'll be very fun for you. Um, Those are our cats, and they're a mess. And they will get into everything. And so we will have dinner, and my kids will have cups of milk, and they'll be on the table. And if they don't pick up the cups of milk from the table... The cats will come and have a field day. They'll knock them over. And so we'll have dinner and then I'll be sitting over like in the living room. And then all of a sudden I'll hear this pap, splash. I'm like, children of mine, I told you to pick up the cup and put it in the sink. And so then I get mad at the children for leaving the cups out, right? 
And then a day goes by. And then I leave a cup of water on the table. And then I hear a pat, splash. So whose fault is it now? Does daddy take the blame? No, I blame the cats. The stupid cat, right? It's, it's the kids or it's the cats, right? And it's so easy to ignore our own faults, but point out the faults of others. We often give grace to ourselves and judgment to others. We do it all the time. And Jesus says, look, look, I want you to first take the log, the issues out of your own life because you can't see clearly. See, we all have blind spots. We all have areas of our life that we don't see clearly. And God actually has given us an antidote to that. You know what it is? How many of you are married? Keep your hands up. You're proud. Come on, you married someone. That was great. That, you did that. That was great. Your marriage um, is a beautiful mirror that's put right in front of you. They see all of your faults, all of your failures, and they've got an opinion on them. And that is actually a gift. That that person beside you can say, hey, here's my frustration. Here's my frustration with that person. Here's this issue that I want to address. And that person can be a great sounding board, a great gift to you. Some of you have great friends for this. Like a trusted friend that, that can actually help you evaluate whether or not what you're seeing is correct. And that is a great gift to ask the question, am I seeing this correctly or do I have a blind spot? Here's the issue with blind spots. You can't see them. You need someone else to speak into them. And that's how we first remove the log. But secondly, the second step is this, to have a gentle confrontation. Here's what it says in verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own? The gentle confrontation is this. Um, Am I rightly evaluating the issue? Am I rightly seeing the scale of the issue? This is a log. This is a speck. This will be easy, class. What's the difference? The log is bigger. The speck is Small, yeah, th these are easy, right? Easy, everyone can win on this one, right? The speck is smaller. The problem is this. When we assume a speck is a log and not just a speck, when we, we assume the scale is bigger than it actually is, kind of the way I would do it is like this. Um, if, I, if you have an issue, it's like your hand in front of your face. Like your issue with that person or that thing. And what, what happens is that issue becomes so close, we can't see around it. It's so big, we can't see through it. And you're like, this is my issue that I have with you. I can't even see you because the issue is so big. And what you need to do is just take, take the space away. The issue is probably a speck. It's probably not a log. But the problem is we can't see beyond our own issue. And so what Jesus is saying to us is, look, view the issue rightly. It's a small thing that can be dealt with. And in order to do that, we need to take some space away from it and then say, okay, there will be a way to gently confront the issue, but view it in its appropriate scale. Parents, this is going to be crucial for you. The issue that your teenagers are facing, it may be a log, or, or parents, it may be a speck. Am I approaching it appropriately? And the beautiful part about the Bible is that Jesus is so practical 
in, most, in much of his teaching. He says, when you have an issue, I'm actually even going to give you a process to walk forward. In Matthew 18, he does. You can stay in the same gospel. And in Matthew 18, he says, okay, when there is an issue, here's how to appropriately, appropriately address the issue. I'm just going to walk through that process with us. The first thing he says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, he says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. He says the first step in confrontation when you're frustrated with someone is, is, to, is to first go individually and have an individual conversation with the person that you're frustrated with or that you're angry with. He says, I want you to go first one-on-one because discretion honors the person. One of the greatest gifts you can do to uh, your kids' parents is to not shame them publicly. To not bring it all the way to the surface, but actually to address it in private. I'm so thankful when, when someone says, hey, I have an issue I want to talk to you about. And they say, can we set up a meeting or, or can we have, go have a conversation to, to argue that issue or talk through that issue with discretion in an appropriate environment. It honors the person to do that. And it takes a little bit of planning. It means I can't pop off. It means when I see that frustration, I can't just vent and, and just say what I'm thinking. I need to actually allow some time to pass so that I can appropriately address the issue. And this is a gift to people. The second thing he says is this, but if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. He says, if you've had that individual conversation with that person, and they don't receive what you're saying, bring two other people. And what this is not, is not bringing an army that agrees with you. That's not what this is. These are bringing people that know this person, that love this person, that are, that are hopefully even on this person's side. Like they're friends, right? And the goal in this loving confrontation is to give this person uh, just helpful advice, helpful establishment of, of raising this concern. And you want to do it in an environment where this person can receive it. And so you're not bombarding them, but you're bringing helpful people to point the issue out. And if, if they still refuse to listen, he says there's the next step, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let them be as a Gentile or a tax collector. And he says, this is your third step. If, if the issue is that big then you need to bring it to spiritual authority. You go individually, you bring in a neutral party, and then the third step, and this, is, this has got to be a pretty big issue to bring in spiritual authority to address this significant issue. And we have elders that, that help alongside of this. And so if you are walking through a major issue, we want to help you walk through this wisely. But if you're going to bring it to that level, it better be a pretty significant issue where spiritual authority needs to come in alongside. And then he says, but if they refuse even to listen to the church, let that person be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Meaning, um, assume it's possible I don't know for it's possible that person's not a believer. Don't know for sure, but it's possible that they're, not, they're an unbeliever. And so you treat them as such, um, as an unbeliever. That means you don't, not ignore them, but you say, okay, well, maybe, maybe God's doing something else in their life and it's going to take some time to address it. But you walk through it appropriately. And the, this whole process is, is meant to be a gentle confrontation. It's not a heavy stick. It's not heavy-handed. It's, it's, it's supposed to be gently for the purpose of restoration. 
Verse 18, he goes on to say this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them. For my Father in heaven, for wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And that's the context of that verse. Um, we oftentimes use that verse to describe um, uh, just like a prayer gathering, but actually it's, the context is conf- loving confrontation. And so the context is whenever two or three are in agreement on this is an issue and it needs to be addressed, as we move forward um, in gently to this person, God says, I'm with you in that moment. So it's, it's first um, honest evaluation, gentle confrontation, and the third step is this loving restoration. The issue can be removed. The goal isn't just to point out people's problems and just to get stuff off your chest. The goal is actually for a loving restoration. And this is really important. As you're addressing this issue, are you just going to unload or are you looking to restore the relationship and bring that person back? Jesus says, look, you hypocrite. Verse 5, Matthew 5, 5. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of the brother's eye. The question you got to ask is this. As I'm confronting this person, am I setting them up for success? Am I setting up a space for them to win? See, sometimes we just unload on people. We're just like, hey, I've got a problem and I got an opportunity. Here's all the things I think about you. And, and Jesus says, like, that's not helpful. That's not helpful to anyone. That doesn't build the community. I want you instead to lovingly confront for the purpose of restoring. He says, look, the speck is an issue and it does need to be addressed. But you have to bring the appropriate tool to solve the problem. You don't bring a sledgehammer when you need tweezers, right? You lovingly confront, and the purpose is to remove it, to restore. So several years ago, um, I, I had this great process um, done for me, okay? Can I, can I admit that I'm a sinner and I've made mistakes and I need people to confront me? Is it a safe place? Can I do that? Uh, Sorry to tell you, your pastor is not perfect. And I've had men that have stood beside me and said, hey, here's some issues. And so the issue was this. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm so sorry to do that to you. Um, But it was this. um, When things wouldn't go my way in a particular environment, um, I would become frustrated. And then I would share my frustration with several other people within the organization. I'm sure you've never done that, but I did that. And, And that was unhealthy. That was unhealthy. Because these people couldn't do anything uh, to help, and I was just venting to them. I was putting them in a weird spot. It was not a healthy way to interact. And so someone who was, uh, my supervisor came to me and said, hey, Kevin, um, when things don't go your way, you spin, and you start having conversations, and, and that doesn't help us. And when he said that, it stung. I mean, it hurt. And so I like went, went back and I had a process. I go, okay, how, I've been, how have I been handling like conflict or frustration? How have I been handling it personally? And, and I came to the conclusion, I'm like, man, he's right. And so for the next several months and even turned into years, I said, okay, I'm not gonna do that. When I'm frustrated with a decision or an interaction, I'm gonna bring my frustration to the appropriate place and then I'm gonna leave it there. And so for the next period of time, I said, I committed to do this. I committed to, to not spin and, and, and do this in this way. And, and for the next two years, 
that's what I did. I, I said, I'm not going to do this, and this is how I'm going to handle it. And then two years later, the person um, was in another conversation with me. And he said, hey, Kevin, you tend to, when things don't go your way, you do this. And I, I said to him, um, hey, uh, I appreciate you saying that. And, and you brought that up to me two years ago. And I've been working really hard on that issue. And so over the past two years, I know previously um, I, that was a pattern in my life that I was not proud of, okay? And you brought it to my attention. Um, over the past two years, have you seen that within me? And he said, no, I have not seen that within you. And I said, well, if you see it, let me know. But otherwise, I need you to help me move on from that. And that paint, don't keep using on me. Unless it's appropriate. And that was a very interesting second conversation. And honestly, um, I think that's, that's the real challenge in loving restoration. Are we willing to let this person grow? Are we willing to confront issues and walk alongside them long enough to see them change? Are we willing to, to say, okay, this is an issue, and then come alongside and say, you know what, but you're better than that, and you can grow, and I'm committed to stand beside you as you look more like Christ. That's crucial. And that's what God's people do. They don't merely lob bombs, but they move in and they help that person grow. So the steps are an honest evaluation, a gentle confrontation, loving restoration. And fourthly, patient timing. Patient timing. Verse six, Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Here's his point. Not everything needs to be said. You need to be patient in your timing to address these issues. In fact, Jesus is kind of giving his own version here of Proverbs chapter 9 verse 8 where it says this, um, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you, but rebuke a wise man and he will love you. He's saying this, like, if you rebuke some people, they will never hear you. They will just ignore you, and they'll just hate you for doing it. But if you rebuke a wise person, they'll receive the correction, and they'll grow. And he says, he says, look, not everything you say needs to be said. And you need to create the space, as best you can, for this person to grow healthily. And so what does that look like? That means we speak the truth. That means we speak the truth in love. It means, secondly, we speak the truth tenderly. It means, thirdly, that we, we give it time. We speak the truth. We speak in tenderness. And we give it time. Uh, when I was um, playing basketball growing up uh, in junior high, I had a coach in seventh grade that was the yelling coach, right? He was like, what are you doing? Get over there. And, and, like, and he would yell at everything that we did. Every missed pass, every missed play, he would just go off and just be yelling at us about everything. And at a point, midway through the season, I was like, I was like you know what? I don't even want to play anymore. And I was just like, hey, let that guy play and I'll be over here because I just never felt like I could win in his presence, right? But then next year, I had a completely different coach. Um, his name is Coach Kilgore. And and he still pointed out my problems. Like, I had issues I need to work with. you. And so, we dribbled the ball. I'd pass it to the wrong player. And they're like, hey, you, you can't keep doing that. That hurts our team when you pass it to the wrong team. You can't do that. And then he would put his arm around me and say, but brother, 
You have talent. You have ability. And I'm here to help you. And so there was the, the truth, but then there was the tenderness of the arm. I knew it was a safe place to fail. See, what God wants his community of believers to be is a place where we speak the truth in love. And then we create an environment where people, where people can thrive. We set people up for success, not for failure. And what that means is we've got to give people time. See, God's timetable is not our timetable. Like, we have an issue that needs to be addressed yesterday, so let me tell it to you now, right? And God's like, okay, hey, be patient. Be long-suffering. Long-suffering means to suffer a long time alongside. He's, oh, that's, that's what we do to one another. We are tender, and we let time carry the course. H. Jackson Brown, in his book, A Father's Book of Wisdom, says this, in the confrontation between the stream and the rock, the stream always wins, not through strength, but by perseverance. So as we lovingly care for one another, we persevere alongside one another, we gently correct, we lovingly change them, and by God's grace, this person will look more and more like Christ, even if they don't want it right now. C.S. Lewis famously writes in his book, Surprised by Joy. He says, I was the most dejected convert, right? He's like, I didn't want to come to God. But he saw the loving nature of God in constant correction and the truth of who he was. And so eventually he says, fine, I give up, I give in. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's exactly what Jesus does with us. There's an honest evaluation of who we are, our distance from him. And there's a gentle correction that he brings. He points out our sin, but he doesn't bring all of our sin in front of our face. Thank you, Jesus. But he brings enough so that we see, oh, these are some issues that I need help with. And he gives us loving restoration. How? Through his death on the cross. His, I paid it for you, and I'm restoring you in relationship with the Father, and he's patient in his timing. He says, I will outlast you with love. I will love you till you change. I will love you until you become more lovely. Oh, it's a beautiful gift that we have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's what my people should look like. And if we look like that, let me tell you what, the people that come to this community will be a safe place where they can grow and thrive. They'll be in a safe place where they can grow to look more like Christ. Not perfect, but by God's grace, being perfected. So I don't know where you are this morning, but for some of you, Instead of thinking about who you need to confront, we might need to be addressing the logs in our own eyes. There's sin that we haven't repented of. There's tension that we've created. We've created some of the problems of our own life. And so Jesus might be saying to us, okay, let's address some of those issues with you. For others of us, there's, there's issues that we need to address in others. There's a, there's a, there's a speck in a brother's eye that we, we love that man or that woman and, and there's something that we need to lovingly confront in the right way. And so, and so we need to pray, Lord, give us the wisdom in how to confront that person well. And for others of us, actually, we don't need any of those steps. We've actually never personally come to the feet of Jesus Christ. We've never put our faith wholly and solely in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins because we're so afraid. We're afraid that he's looking to judge and to pounce, but no, 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 he's, he has a right judgment and a loving hand to pull us in if we let him. 
So I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray that as you interact with people, as you interact with the people that you love, you would approach that with the wisdom of Christ. I pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be men and women that approach confrontation in a healthy, life-giving, loving way. We wouldn't shrink back unnecessarily, but we wouldn't also move in, in, rad, in rash judgment that you have not called us to. So Lord, I, I really pray that we would be a place of health, that we'd be a place that loves people well, and that in this environment, in this place, people can flourish as they meet you, Jesus, and they meet us, your kids, and they say, wow, that's what it looks like to be in the family of God. They hold the truth with tenderness, and they give me the time to grow. Lord, I'll lift up each person to you. Help us to know how to interact with our family and our friends by your wisdom. In your name we pray.